I'm Scott Kerr, and you're listening to Facing the Giants, a podcast where I speak to today's luxury entrepreneurs about taking on the Goliaths of the industry. My guest on Facing the Giants is David Barton, an entrepreneur and fitness guru who revolutionized the modern gym concept. David has a long history in the fitness industry since he opened his first gym in the Chelsea neighborhood of New York City back in 1992. His obsession with the evolution of exercise is matched only by his compulsion to create a captivating nightclub atmosphere. Barton's latest venture, Gym U, is a luxury gym that takes a scientific approach to health and training, catering to the urban sophisticate seeking serious results. The New York Times once crowned David Barton as the man who made working out cool. Welcome, David. Thank you. So happy you can join me. Yeah, I want to jump back a little bit. I'll call it a trip down memory lane. So when, when, <laughs> when so when you opened your first gym in the early 90s, the gym scene was quite different than it was the time of super gyms like Equinox Fitness Club and Crunch Fitness, where dozens of people crowd into rooms jammed with treadmills and Stairmasters. What were you doing at that time? And why did you decide to open a gym? I, I, I had been a trainer when I got out of college. I was going to go to grad school and I saw this ad for trainers. I became a trainer where I worked for two different gyms for five bucks an hour. I just thought, this is great. I get to make a, a buck working in the gym. But I um, I went out on my own so that I could afford to pay my rent. And uh, I saw that 19, my first gym opened in 1992. I saw there was a market of people who had more taste than money. Um, mm-hmm. People were starting to have uh, uh, options. You know, there was... Um, a boutique hotel movement you know people have people who had a style or were just appreciated style or were fans thereof <laughs> could um could have some options and um i i knew people who wouldn't be caught dead in the gym these right, gyms right. that you mentioned and so i just wanted to make it okay for people that i knew to go to the gym i came out of the nightclub world and and uh just coming from a different thing than than uh than the one where the gym goers were coming from so I, I really opened up a gym for them, used my savings as a trainer. A couple of people threw kicked in a few dollars, and uh, I opened it up on a on a shoestring. But I'd been training people, and so I I had uh, gotten you know a, a following, became a successful New York trainer. So you know I sort of had this built-in audience when I opened up the gym. Basically, you saw some kind of gap in the market. Well, yeah, you know, I opened it up really for these like cool downtown people that were too cool to go to the gym. Right. Uh, and and uh, so really for them, although it wound up uh, attracting this whole other audience, which is a, another <laughs> whole other story. Right. But, um, you know, also I come from this nightclub scene where, where, you know, people were literally living in the nightclub, seeing their friends there. And this is New York in the 80s with a whole different kind of social scene where, you saw your friends out at night. I right. knew people, that wasn't going to last forever. I thought people needed a place to socialize and hang out by day. So this was like, you know, as opposed to nightlife, this is daylight. This was a place where you could, um, where you could go and kind of feel like you, uh, you were part of something, but you didn't have to stay out till five in the morning. Right. You know, and you're considered a pioneer, you know, the first to brand a New York city gym with, something other than fluorescent lighting and and peppy primary colors instead you created the gym as nightclub experience 
attracting, like you say, you know, fashionistas, club personalities, and many A-list celebrities. It sort of became like the Studio 54 of the fitness industry. When did you realize that you had an instant hit on your hands? Um, by the way, it's a great compliment compared to Studio 54. Um, I also got that compliment from the former uh, owner of Studio 54, which is, you know, one of the best compliments I've ever gotten was that he compared uh, it. Gave first gym to, he compared it to Studio. Yeah. And um, when did I realize I had a hit? You know, I, I opened this gym, you know, just glad I could somehow get this thing open, you know, with my pillowcase full of money, you know, training, trainer savings, you know, and I got this thing open, you know, um, spent every penny, slept on the floor of the place while I was building it. You know, I'd run out and open up a folding card table on the sidewalk to, you know, sell some memberships to finish paying workers, you know, and I really, I built it myself with some, you know, inexpensive labor. Um, so I got it open on day one, you know, no one came, I didn't care. <laughs> I was just so happy to have this gym. Day two, you know, no, nothing. Yeah, it was a passion um, play for you. Yeah, day three, nobody came and I was just, you know, working every job there myself, you know, and hired the hired, hired staff. I trained them all myself. The trainers, I trained myself dressed them, styled them, taught them how to speak and taught people how to answer the phone. And so I had this staff there that had to get paid. And I just hoped that I'd be able to make payroll, you know, day yeah. five, there was a line around the block to join. Yeah. What was that tipping point? Don't know. Like kind of word got out. There was a, there was a tipping point where just one person told another and just people, uh, you know, a few people came and then a few more. And suddenly there was, there was a line, you know, to people joining. Uh, it became this sort of who's who, you know, I thought it was going to be, you know, club kids. And there was in the morning, there were, you know, limousines lined up outside and people come from the Upper East Side. I opened it up in June of 1992. And the following, I guess it's February, the New York Times did a big piece. And I've been like, it had been covered in the media. There was some like the, the columns were covering like who was working out there. But the New York Times did a piece and said, um, you're a nobody till somebody who's somebody sees you working out at this gym. And <laughs> this, this front page of the style section um, piece, it just after that, it was like opening the floodgates, you know, to the point where the, you know, it's, the place was so packed with people. I was worried that the space would explode. <laughs> so you opened up a second club a few years later in 1995 and a yes. third in Miami the same year. Yes. You know, further clubs that followed New York, Chicago, Seattle. Why were you confident that the concept and vibe would scale outside of New York City? Um, I'm just wired with too much confidence. That's why I had no idea. <laughs> really looking back on it, it was really rolling the dice, to, you know, to see whether it would play in Chicago, which is such a different psychographic than than New York. I mean, it's very, you know, it looks like New York, um, but it ain't New York. And um, it worked, you know. Um, why I was confident, you know, it was very, this was a brand play. And I just saw there were some markets where people were living in places like, you know, Chelsea in the village and Tribeca and, you know, it sort of, there was, there was a sort of a, you know, neighborhoods which felt a little more like uh, the people who lived there were, were, uh, you know, in more creative fields, you know, they were in advertising or like, right. you know, art, music, theater, stuff like that. You know, it wasn't just your, your corporate-y neighborhood. Um, so there was this sort of, markets that I thought would be on the right wavelength. And I, uh, it was a brand play. I went into those markets as opposed to doing a clustering of gyms in a, in a specific geographic location. Yeah. 
And, and those at the time familiar with your brand knew the David Barton gym tagline of look better naked. How did that slogan translate into your gym's signature philosophies? I always felt that no matter what people say when they come to join the gym, whether it's for their health or longevity, those were all very welcome side effects of working out. But in the end, what really motivates somebody to step into the gym on that first day is the desire to just look in the mirror and know that you like what you see naked. And, um, you know, I came up with it because I, I, my first ad that I ever bought in the Village Voice, I had to pay. I think, I had to, I think if I remember correctly, I had to pay by the letter. Right. <laughs> it, was, it was just first, it was this short and pithy message, you know, look better naked. So I took an ad, look better naked. I just put the address on the bottom. I didn't even put the name of the gym on there. And I won this uh, advertising award, an international print advertising award called the Rack Awards. And I didn't win first place, but it was some uh, award where there was, you know, thousands of contestants. And I knew that it was something that resonated and I still used it to this day. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like something David Ogilvy would come up with, but uh, uh, it was it was a good line. So did you enjoy being the CEO of your company? No. Um, no, I fell into that by default. Uh, you know, I mean, I kind of did everything, you know, I, I mean, I really, um, maybe too hands on. I was the, um, I liked doing the creative stuff. It gave me an opportunity to design gyms and write ad copy and do photo shoots and, you know, all these things that I really did love. Um, as far as being the CEO, I'm probably a terrible boss. I would have been a great king, I think. <laughs> you know, management, like day-to-day -day management um, is not my thing. Um, I did enjoy the strategy. You know, um, I don't like counting the hands in the room, right. but I do like thinking about, you know, how I could invent the future of gyms. Yeah, the bigger picture. And, um, that's what I really have tried to do, you know, just push this business into, the, into, into modernity because it's uh, notoriously lagging and it's um it's uh ability to keep up with even science you know i mean yeah it's just behind you know it's really behind yeah and you expanded the brand nationally you know but competitive fitness market forces made it tough to stay afloat you stepped away from your namesake company after 22 years in 2013 and also signed over the rights to the david barton name but a few years later you embarked on a new journey opening temple tmpl gym yeah in New York's Hell's Kitchen, it was billed as a smart gym. So what, what was the difference about the Temple gym experience than the David Barton gym? So um, was doing, so I started working on Temple before I left David Barton gym. Um, you know, I'd been there 20 years. I made a deal to exit with my, my investors. Uh, they were going in a direction that was a little more, you know, I really tried to have an alternative to the chain movement. They were making a little more of a chain. Um, so we didn't see eye to eye and I, um, started coming up with the idea of Temple. Every business is going to be different when you hire different people to run. It's like a, it's kind of like show business, you know, the way I look at it is show business. You know, so this is a little bit of a different script and different set. And um, right. it was a little more grown up. Um, it was smart. And then I applied some more metabolic science to allow people to zero in on their, on the, on the process uh, with regard to, you know, achieving their goals. Like, so they could really analyze their metabolism David Barton Jim had a tiny bit of this sort of downtown snobbery, I guess, hate to say it, but it was very much did have this sort of imaginary invisible velvet rope where Temple was a little more inclusive um, or leveraged some 
uh, technologies that had just not been, you know, a part of the thing before. So, so it was different. It was, you know, it was an evolution of what I'd already been doing. And and you sold Temple in 2017, and now you're back six years later, entering the Thunderdome of New York City's fitness scene once more with Jim Yu. You've returned to Manhattan's Chelsea neighborhood with a reinvention of the same space your fitness facility occupied until a decade ago. What is Jim Yu and what's different about its approach to health and training? Well, first of all, yeah, so I live in Chelsea. I've been here a long time. And um, so this is, um, that space is, it's in my neighborhood. Um, like I know everyone in the neighborhood. I know the names of their dogs. I mean, I'm really like <laughs> a part of the neighborhood. And so it was really appealing to have something, you know, in my backyard, so I'm kind of building my own gym for myself, everything that I would love. So the past few years, I thought I was kind of retired from the gym business. You know, I've been doing some design work. I designed a gym in Moscow, uh, which I can't go. Hmm. I built a gym in Moscow during the pandemic, which, of course, now I can't go there. Right. <laughs> but it's beautiful. It's called Anvil, and it's a phenomenal place. Um, it's the kind of thing I was ready to retire from the gym business and do some other things. And I was able to get this space back. And I love this location. I love this space. You know, I've just gotten better at what I do. I, I was traveling a lot. And uh, everything I saw out there that was lacking in the New York gym uh, business, I brought into you. And there was some there was some great equipment. There was some great technology. There was a, uh, a company called Precision Health Alliance that does epigenetic analysis of people if they want it they can do that when they come in to better understand how the body works there's something called the newbie which is a electric muscle stimulation machine um and i'm working with those when uh, our trainers are using it on clients and there's a lot of technology i'm doing um i brought in uh these people uh, called fuel stop that do iv therapy and some some recovery stuff it's amazing um so there's a lot of things that really sort of close the loop and allow somebody to really you know, get the most out of their time in the gym, as well as really very focused on hiring the best people I've had over the last what, 20, 30 years. I've got people who are still with me from 1992 when I first mm. opened my gym. So I've collected like the best people. And I think sort of uh, the best of everything, I'm really striving to do everything in this gym that I would really want in a gym that is my gym, and which it is. <laughs> it's like yeah. where I go every day and work out. And when you first opened your gym in the 90s, you said your goal was to make it okay for cool people to go to the gym again. So what's the goal of Jim U? Well, certainly um, there was a different time then. There were very few gyms in New York and a lot of people didn't work out. Today, like most people do work out. During the pandemic, a lot of people, one, they started taking better care of themselves, but they also gave it, gave it a shot working out on their own. And it sort of didn't take. Very difficult to work out in your apartment, as people found, I believe, what I've seen. Um, so there was a really a pent up need for people to go out and have, uh, not just go to the gym and work out, but have a social environment that's, that's been missing, you know, for years. And it's harder to, harder to find in a, in a, at a time when, you know, shopping and working and just about everything one does, right. you know, you can do from home on your, uh, on your laptop. So it's very focused on creating a community and environment a place where people feel comfortable and taken care of mm -hmm. um uh that might sound vague but it is really it's where a lot of my um resources are applied tangible outcome going to the gym which of course we focus on somebody being able to achieve something for their body but then there's the subjective experience which is it's a tougher part of 
what I um, would consider, you know, quote unquote, getting it right. And I know when I've gotten it right because uh, I walk into this place and I feel like I'm in the right place at the right time. Like I've just walked into the best party in town. How I can really define that, you know, it's like, why do, uh, why does this song not sound good if you re rearrange the notes, you know? I don't know how to define that, but I know when I see it or hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen Jim U called a luxury gym. What makes Jim U a luxury brand? I don't know what that really means, luxury brand. Um, uh, but I think the way we, um, the way we take care of people is, I mean, the service is casual, but it's exceptional. Um, and the gym feels like a gym. It's a, uh, it's gritty, but it's got the hint of glamour. It's not fancy. It's not precious. There's nothing about it that feels like you wouldn't want to go in there and just let your hair down and pump iron and grunt and scream. And it's where people, uh, I think, feel pampered at the same time. Right. You know, the other day, some there was a member who was yelling at one of my managers about not having the right collar, which is that thing you put on the end of a bar and it's called the plates on. Yep. And within 15 minutes, we had those collars in the gym on the gym floor that mm. this one guy liked. So people are really um, attended to with alacrity. <laughs> it's just a, a level of customer service that I've, um, I think I've, I've gotten good at over the past few decades. So say I purchase a Gym U membership package. So give me a snapshot of the unique fitness and health experiences that I should expect within the walls of your property. So first, you know, there's this, uh, there's a visual experience. And I think the shortcut to the imagination is through the visual pathway. So you come in and you see something, the scale is, is such, and the visual design um, will hopefully transport you to, to uh, know that you're not, uh, a part of the outside, um, the outside of those four walls any longer. You're not at work. You're not at home. You know, you're you're not in Kansas anymore. Hopefully, made to feel very at home by the staff. The equipment is exceptional. Um, uh, there's a company from Italy called Panada, for instance, that makes equipment that is I can only compare it to a Ferrari compared to a, a Chevy. Mm -hmm. It's um it's handmade in Italy, and this mechanics have been rethought and it's uh it's something that the members actually love it's um trainers and the training um there's a i think a great crowd on the gym floor the music is very carefully curated the sound is great you know all the senses are being considered you know the scale of the space is so important everything that uh goes into um hopefully allowing your imagination to be stimulated and I want somebody to come in and be able to imagine how they're going to feel on day 100, not on day two when they just muscles are sore and they're, right. out, of, they're out a few bucks. Well, new technology in gyms is transforming the member experience. You know, members are expecting more and more of gyms as their own personal tech grows and changes. What state of the art technology have you invested in for Gym U? Maybe the most interesting thing and the most effective. Not many times in my gym life have I seen something that really made me stop and take notice of something that's going to change my life. And there's this machine called the Newbie, which it's something that can render the one-hour workout into a you know a ten-minute workout where the results will be the same or better. Where you can use a ten-pound dumbbell instead of a forty-pound dumbbell, save the joints and get the same outcome for the muscles. Um, and it's electrical muscle stimulation machine, but using direct current 
Um, it's not like um, people have seen these uh, uh, TENS or STIN machines in physical therapist's office, which just use AC current, they contract the muscle. Again, I don't want to get too techy here, but it's um, <laughs> it's something that really can completely alter what you can get out of going to the gym and working out. They'll immediately see uh, a machine called the ARX, um, which is uh, about the size of a car, and it's adaptive resistance, computerized, motorized, it tests the strength that one is able to produce and, um, or the strength you have and the force one's able to produce and apply that force so that somebody can see on a computer screen how hard they're working. Uh, but yeah, I think people will be aware that, um, you know, whatever's out there that's good, I've, uh, I've um, leveraged in, in you. You know, I haven't seen the space yet, but I read that the building's design was inspired by films like Fritz Lang's 1927 Metropolis, Orson Welles' Noir, Lady from Shanghai, and Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, a kind of an industrial dystopian future aesthetic. How important is the design, lighting, and auditory components of Jim Yu to the whole entire experience? I mean, how important was um, Stanley Kubrick to Barry Lyndon? It's you know, it's um, <laughs> it's the it's what really creates the experience. So I mean, design is probably uh, a misnomer because it is the visceral experience. So walking in, you know, somebody's heart should get pumping before they ever, you know, start pumping iron. And and uh, you know, the movies, well, you know, Metropolis, which is this German, you know, expressionist. You know, film, like you said, from 1927 is this futuristic vision of Fritz Lang with this really sort of deco style. And um, it really came to my mind, had a second look at this space. Like this was a David Barton gym um, up until 2013 when I left the company and became a crunch for 10 years. So I completely redone it. Metropolis really came to mind as well as Barry Lyndon with the lighting. Uh, Lady from Shanghai, you know, the use of mirrors, which is this Orson Welles movie that yeah. You're obviously familiar with and um yeah these movies sort of um come to mind when i or they don't you know they, but the creative impulse happens very quickly and these movies just uh, yeah, so so yeah so when you sat down with your architects and creative teams did you bring those movies up or how did you communicate your vision to them i didn't sit down with anyone i started designing this myself you know i'd done some design work on my own i really designed to some extent uh, all my gyms in the past. I did have some great people I worked with, Bill Sofield, Benedict Kazersky. I've worked with some great people. Um, more and more, I did a lot of the design myself, and I designed this one in Moscow um, completely on my own. So this one, I was doing on my own. I did have some help. Charles Renfro of Dillis Cofidio Renfro, who's a friend, came in and helped me out uh, with some of the detail, and he's been amazing. Um, Stephen Alton, another architect, uh, Rose Wood, who is uh, the best uh, finishing restorer of furniture and finishes. She's incredible. Focus Lighting, who do the lighting. Uh, they're been amazing to work with. Um, yes, I did talk about the movies, and we <laughs> spent probably uh, a good portion of our time talking about Metropolis and Barry Lyndon, which is, you know, this like beautifully lit yeah. uh, film. I sketch on envelopes. I doodle on an iPad. Um, but mostly it's walking around and pointing and saying like, you know, it's really like drawing on the wall and saying, let's do this here. I'm big into mock-ups. I mock up everything before we do it. So 
I just go around with cans of paint and finish the materials and things and play around a lot before we pull the trigger. And mushrooms seem to be a big thing there. You know, the mushrooms have landed on many trends forecasters predictions lists as the ingredient of the year. It seems that you've jumped on that trend. So you could talk about, can you talk about the mushroom theme cafe that you have set up at Jim U and what it offers? So yeah, it's called the mushroom and um, I'm doing a, um, it's, it's just about, it's just about ready. Um, we just finished, you know, the gym's only been open for a few months. So the, this is the last thing to open into the, uh, this lounge, which is called the Mushroom, and it's a bar, lounge, juice bar, etc. Um, uh, mushroom theme, so I'll have medicinal mushrooms. My partner in this venture, Bill Gilroy, of Employees Only, um, right. his son has this mushroom company, and so they have access to these incredible mushrooms, the health benefits of which are enormous. And there's just, uh, it's also, it's a, it's just a very current fighting world that we're just discovering this whole world of mushrooms um so i think this is the first you know lounge devoted to <laughs> devoted to the mushroom itself i think it'll be really fun and exciting it'll have a little bit of a psychedelic hippie vibe going on <laughs> a little timothy leary a little hate ashbury in the yeah. 1990s, a little a little psychedelia yeah i mean it all fits together in a way you know it's um it fits together and, 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 and it doesn't. And so you can go from one sort of world into another in this place. And, in uh, you know, I try to keep it fun and exciting and I hope it works. You know, studio gyms like Barry's Boot Camp, Orange Theory Fitness and Planet Fitness have been rapidly setting up shop in city neighborhoods and vacant shopping malls to attract younger generation of consumers increasingly looking to build wellness and experience oriented lifestyles. Is this your competition? Not so much. I don't find that it's a choice for people between a, a studio and, and Jim Yu. Um, so the studios, it's a tough business and one that I've always stayed away from. Uh, it's tough in New York, given the uh, just the cost structure, what a place like that. You know, a studio by its nature has to be sort of a one-trick pony because it's a studio. You know, you can't have um, a mushroom cafe and a bunch of cool equipment and 50 trainers and big locker rooms that give somebody space to, to, you know, hang out and pamper themselves. So, you know, it's really, you know, you do the studios, usually there's a class and that's really what they have. And so I think because of that, they are forced to come off as a, maybe a bit gimmicky, uh, nothing against them. Listen, I respect like anyone who's made it in that business. It's like impressive, but I don't find that uh, it's the same a uh, customer, somebody who just gets into doing like a specific kind of a class versus somebody who, you know, goes to a gym where they can really, you know, pursue kind of all their workout. And with gyms and fitness centers shutting down during the most severe moments of the pandemic, the home gym equipment sector got a boost as people sought to take their workouts indoors. You know, many gravitated towards connected or smart fitness devices like Peloton and NordaTrack, TechnoGym, et cetera, Mirror. When these gyms started reopening, people stopped buying and using exercise equipment with the same enthusiasm they had in the spring of 2020. In this post-pandemic world, how is Jim Yu appealing to this audience who thought that these at-home digital exercise devices were forever going to change how we work out? Hey, man, I've designed um, and built a lot of gyms for people in their you know, their home gyms to go into their uh, living room or their extra space that they have in their apartment. Um, 
invariably these the equipment winds up as a coat hanger. Yeah. Um, it's very hard to work out at home. It's, um, I mean, I did it during the pandemic, and I can tell you it wasn't easy for me. But there's distractions, and I think people really gave it a valiant effort during the pandemic to work out at home uh, or on their own. And like I said, it's just not easy um, for people who can do it. It's great. I mean, you know, get up in the morning and walk over to the home gym and exercise. It's great. I just don't know that many that I don't know that many people who've been able to pull it off. Yeah. And I think people, like I said, you know, what else do you do in life today that requires that you're around other people where there's interaction and eye contact and fear of rejection, whatever else like people need to function as human social creatures other than the gym and, uh, dancing it's a hard thing to is um you know everything could be done at home and moving further in that direction and yeah. like any gym maintaining high levels of gym motivation among your members is crucial for increasing retention and overall satisfaction with their gym experience but motivation is a complex and personal concept that a variety of internal and external factors can influence so how are you looking to effectively motivate your members to keep retention rates high Great question. We try to engage with people. You know, my first job as a trainer, I had this guy, uh, you know, sit me down and he said, if you want to keep a client, show him a little something in the mirror, you know, that little cut between the deltoid and the tricep, this yeah. little meditation <laughs> where the deltoid meets the tricep and the bicep. There's a little line there that like people, men and women like to see. To so get him that little cut, you know, get him or her that cut and they'll be yours forever. And that very simple truism, I think, um, can be applied to, in general, the um, whatever it is that motivates people to keep coming. If you see a change in the mirror, that's really going to be what motivates somebody. You know, longevity is a hard thing for people to really, like, deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But, like, improving how you look is just, for some reason, that's the catnip. That's what, that's what gives you that short-term, you know, desire to you know, get up and get your ass out of bed and into the gym or skipping lunch and going to work out or, you know, it's where look better naked comes in. It's really, <laughs> people all get it. They're like, well, I get it. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've said in a recent interview, I've studied, experimented, read, taught, and contemplated, and there is no qualification that prepares someone for the alchemy and magic of a gym that actually works. Why do you think Jim Yu has the right formula to be something extraordinary? I don't, I, you know, again, like, I, you know, I don't know. I just know it does. I, um, I, I don't know. There's a million and one details. And which is the magical one without which it wouldn't work? I don't know. But it's, uh, I know that it's working. You know, I smell it. It's like, it's good. I go around and I just, I feel it. I talk to the members. I know it's working, you know, it's, in, you know, look, you know, I see it in the numbers, but I feel it when I walk around the gym and, um, you know, it's something in the air. It's like people want to be there. Can't tell you like why it works, but there's like, you know, every little thing is, is attended to every detail. Um, you know, I don't think there's anyone there who feels neglected. And I, I guess I keep coming back to that sort of engagement with the members, but you know, it's, it's a lot of members, you know, it's, um, it's a big, uh, big group of people to try and like sort of do the best you can to make sure every single one of them is happy. And that's what yeah. the business kind of boils down to for me. So how would you like to see Jim, you grow in the next five years? 
I don't know yet. And um, I enjoy not knowing. I've got this one place I want to make it perfect. I've got some ideas. I'm talking to some people. I've One thing I have no lack of is ideas. And um, I don't know what's next. I don't know if I could describe it. I have some thoughts, but they might sound ridiculous or crazy. If, if, if I had a buck for every time somebody told me something was impossible or ridiculous, <laughs> I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be super rich. Um, remember when I was coming up with David Barton Jim, and I'm telling like somebody, you know, no, it's not a gym. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a state of mind. Oh, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, so do you get it? And like, David, I have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, you were talking about Moscow before. Do you see Jim, you expanding outside the U.S.? You know, maybe. I mean, I, you know, I'm not psyched to jump on a plane and go checking out gyms in other places, but there's some really interesting markets and it'll be fun to see Jim, you, um, you know, in some um, in some of those places. So I'll see. Uh, right now, um, like I said, I walked across the street to go to work. <laughs> Literally right <laughs> across the street. Great. You know, with David Boyd and Tim, I had to jump on a plane. I'd go to Miami, uh, Chicago, L.A., Seattle, Vegas, you know. And it was a trip. Literally a trip. I mean, it was, it was a trip. I had to go, um, you know, I had to go from place to place and check on my gyms and work with people i trained salespeople and trainers and worked with managers and um it's you know i had it to do over again i'd love to have gyms where i could get to every place on the train you know <laughs> david barton founder of jim U. thank you so much for joining me on the show best of luck thank you thanks for having me